All right, here we go. You ready? Here We're back at Judges. So we're going to do Judges here, and then we're going to do the, the Joy to the World series, and then we're going to do, um, we're going to come back, and we're going to wrap up Judges, because we have to finish with Samson. I mean, come on. We cannot not do Samson. And then we'll wrap up Galatians. And then I'm thinking about something in the spring. Maybe we'll do uh, a couple of Psalter sermons from the Psalms. Uh, but I'm not sure about the spring, so you can pray about that. I'm liking this going back and forth, but I think we'll do that one time a year, so save that again for the fall. Not do it again in the spring, but I do like this going back. Uh, have you liked going back and forth from Judges to Galatians? Okay. All right, seems so. It does seem so. All right, here we go. Sometimes you need deliverance from what you thought was going to deliver you. Cindy, not her real name, has been struggling with a relationship for more than five years. In her head, she knows it's not healthy, but in her heart, she can't help herself. I need him. He needs me. I don't want to be alone. Her head, this is not healthy. Her heart, I need him. This dynamic sabotages her daily. Why am I such a bad Christian? What's wrong with me? I'm so confused and conflicted. I need a sign or something. Sometimes you need deliverance from what you thought was going to deliver you. Jim O'Connor tells his story. It is his real name. He told his story in a journal recently. He grew up in a Christian home. He had great parents. They loved him well. Uh, he grew up knowing the story of the Bible before he knew the the capital of his home state. In college, he gets hooked on pornography. The sexual beauty of women were intoxicating to him. They became his drug. They became his high. He kept going back. He says, I keep going back. I keep going back because, quote, this time it will fill the void in me. So obviously his sexual addiction is wrecking his relationship with women, right? But one relationship really got his attention, Maggie, the girl he wanted to marry. I didn't know, quote, if I would ever see her again, but as her taillights disappeared, it wasn't just the fear of losing Maggie forever that shook me. It was the certain knowledge that without real change, there would never be another relationship to lose. Absent help, my addiction was going to strip away everything and everyone and leave me for dead. Sometimes you need deliverance from what you thought was going to deliver you. There's the cause, the right thing that has swallowed you up. There's the failure you can't shake. There's the child you cannot control. Sometimes you need to be delivered from the thing you thought would deliver you. There's the missed opportunity you obsess over. There's the justice you pursue unjustly and meanly. Sometimes you need to be delivered from what you thought was going to deliver you. There's the dream that doesn't come true. There's the music career that never happened. There's the NFL team you never made. There's the relationship that's over. Sometimes you need deliverance from what you thought was going to deliver you.
Welcome to the world of Judges 9. We stand for the hearing of God's word. Okay, so we're on a real roll right now. Listen to me. Don't look up there. Got it? Here we go. Judges 9. Now Abimelech, the son of Jerubal. Jerubal is Gideon. So this is Gideon's son, Abimelech. Went to Shechem to his mother's relatives. This is Gideon's wife. And said to them and to the whole clan of his mother's family, Hey, say to the ears of all the leaders of Shechem, Which is better for you, that all 70 of the sons of Jerubal, Gideon, rule over you, or that one rule over you? Remember that I'm also your bone and your flesh. And his mother's relatives spoke all these words on all behalf of the ears of all the leaders of Shechem, and their hearts inclined to follow Abimelech. For they said, He's our brother. And they gave him send it 70 pieces of silver out of the house of Baal Barith, that's a pagan god, with which Abimelech hired worthless and reckless fellows who followed him. And he went to his father's house, Gideon's house at Oprah, and killed his brothers, the sons of Jerubal, or Gideon. 70 men, 70 sons, 70 brothers on one stone. Imagine what that stone looked like at Brother 50. But Jotham, the youngest of Jerubal, Gideon, was left, for he hid himself. And all the leaders of Shechem came together, and all Beth Milo, and they went and made Abimelech king by the oak of the pillar at Shechem. When this was told Jotham, that younger son of Gideon, he went and stood on top of Mount Gerizim, and he cried aloud and said to them, Listen to me, you leaders of Shechem, that God may listen to you. This is the only voice of sanity in the whole story. The trees once went out to anoint a king over them, and they said to the olive tree, reign over us. And what Jotham does next is he tells the story of the talking trees. <laughs> Treants, the tree herders. This is the inspiration it has to be. I don't know where else he got the inspiration on Lord of the Rings. Remember what Gimli said about talking trees? Talking trees, what would trees have to talk about except the consistency of squirrel droppings? Remember that? Did y'all not watch Lord of the Rings? Good night. The talking trees are talking because they're desperate for a deliverer. Jotham's telling the story about talking trees that want a king. First they seek, because we're not reading it right now. First they seek the olive tree. Olive tree, be our king. Olive tree, be our deliverer. The olive tree says, no, I'm not the king. Then they go to the fig tree. And then they go to the vine. Be our king, vine. Be our king, fig tree. And the fig tree and the vine says, no, I'm not the king. But the fourth one they seek is the bramble. And they say to the bramble, be our king, be our deliverer. And the bramble says, I am the king. Abimelech, back to verse 22, the bramble ruled over Israel three years. And God sent an evil spirit between Abimelech and the leaders of Shechem. And the leaders of Shechem dealt treacherously with Abimelech. That violence, because of the violence to the 70 sons of Jerubal might come. And their blood be laid on Abimelech, their brother, who killed them, and the men of Shechem, who strengthened his hands to kill his brothers. And the leaders of Shechem put men in ambush against them on mountaintops, and they robbed all who passed by them along the way, and it was told Abimelech. So what Abimelech does is he goes to these cities, and he ambushes the Shechemites. And then he fights against them, and he kills everyone in there. And when they escape to this one tower, a thousand women and a thousand children and a thousand men, and he burns it to the ground. And then when he's done, 
he wants to destroy the whole earth and he takes salt and spreads it over the ruins of the city to even kill the earth. So, let's go to 50 when Abimelech goes to another tower in Thebiz and camped against Thebiz and captured it. But there was a strong tower within the city and all the men and women of the leaders fled to it. Are they stupid? And shut themselves in and they went to the roof of the tower. All hope is lost. You know what's coming next. Abimelech came to the tower, fought against it, drew near to the door of the tower to burn it with fire. And a certain woman threw an upper millstone on Abimelech's head and crushed his skull. Then he called quickly to a young man, his armor bearer, and said, draw, said to him, draw your sword and kill me, lest they say of me, a woman killed him. So his young men thrust him through and he died. Now we're going to go down to the very end in chapter 10, verse 1. Abimelech, after Abimelech, there rose to save Israel, Tola, the son of Pua, son of Dodo. That's a poor dude's name. A man of Issachar, and he lived at Shemir in the hill country of Ephraim, and he judged Israel 23 years. Then he died and was buried at Shemar. After him, there arose Jair, a Giladite, who judged Israel 22 years, and he had 30 sons, and then he died and he was buried in Canaan. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. So, Lord, we ask that you would fill us with your spirit even now, that you would open our eyes and breathe life into our hearts, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so sometimes you need deliverance from what you thought was going to deliver you, right? You know, our last time in Judges was with Gideon, and remember we saw something that was new. We saw a break in the pattern. Remember that? And when you break the pattern in Judges, it means you're breaking the bones of the text. You're breaking its literary structure. You're breaking its theological structure. You're, you're tampering with its interpretive framework. So for the first time in the book of Judges, when we got to the end of Gideon's life, we saw something that's never been seen before. We saw life after deliverance. If Paul was here, he'd say we saw life after the cross. We saw, in other words, the Christian life. Today we have another break in the pattern. So what are we going to see? Now Abimelech, the son of Jerubal, went to Shechem, remember that's Gideon, to his mother's relatives and said to them and all who were the clan of his mother's family, say to the ears of all the leaders of Shechem, which is better for you that all the 70 sons of Jerubal rule over you or me? <laughs> What's the break in the pattern? Here's the break in the pattern. So far, God has called every judge. So far, God has appointed every leader. So far, God has given special revelation to the person who is to deliver Israel until now. What you are watching before your very eyes right now in this text is you are watching the first ever self-appointed judge, the first ever self-appointed king, the first ever sent self-sent deliverer. Abimelech says, I am the king. I am the deliverer. So what does this mean? What does this mean? It means this. According to the scriptures, according to God, this means that Abimelech is a false deliverer. Now, I was going to go explore all the self-appointed leaders in our culture today and all the self-appointed leaders in churches today, and I said, no, I'm going to pass over that one. I'm just saying. There's a reason why there's false teaching that 
accompanies self-appointed leaders and so on and so forth, and we could explore that, but I'm not going to do that. What does it matter, though? What does this matter? Why? Who cares about a 4,000-year-ago person who says, I am the king and I am the deliverer in Israel? Who cares about some false deliverer that lived 4,000 years ago? Here's the answer, because the text is saying, you also have an Abimelech. This text says to every human being that ever lives, every human being that ever reads it, it's not just him. You also have an Abimelech in you. So what is your Abimelech? Some of you are thinking, but dude, I, I know God. I know God is king. I know he's the deliverer. I'm a committed Christian. I go to church. I read my Bible. I pray. I do ministry. I serve others. I, I care about right theology. I care about right worship. I don't have a Abimelech. I don't have a false deliverer. You know what Abimelech means, literally? This is crazy. You know what it means? My father is king. Now, who's Abimelech's father? Gideon. Who named Abimelech? Gideon. My father is king. Gideon names his son. Your father's king. But wait a minute. Was Gideon ever king? No. So what's happening? What's happening is he wanted to be king. Gideon wanted to be king in his heart. So what happens here is that Gideon's theology is God is king, God is the deliverer, but Gideon's heart was, I am the king and I am the deliverer. So in other words, this means that you and I, we can affirm in our theology, we can affirm in our beliefs, we can affirm in our doctrines, we can affirm in our devotional life, in our Bible reading, in our praying, we can affirm in our church life, its community, its worship, its mission, we can affirm in relationships and marriage and parenting. We can affirm in work and circumstances and suffering. We can affirm God is king. God is the deliverer. But in our hearts say, I am king. I am my own deliverer. The number one Abimelech in the world today is you and me. According to this passage, but some of us are thinking, gosh, there's got to be some deeper explanation for this, though. I mean, there must be some reason that they rejected God like this and acted like that. Who could, who could burn a thousand people running for their lives into a tower and listen to them scream? Who can watch 70 sons get slaughtered on your own kin? There must be some deeper explanation for this. There must be something that's happened to them. They don't just do bad things like this. I mean, I bet they had bad parents. I bet maybe they were oppressed. Or maybe they were victims of misinformation. Or maybe somehow they became radicalized politically, ideologically, racially. You know what the craziest part of the story is? The Abimelech story? The craziest part of the story is the people simply wanted him king. They wanted Abimelech to be their king. The deepest explanation is they wanted him. 
Verse 6, and all the leaders of Shechem came together and all at Beth Milo, and they went and made Abimelech king. This is after he slaughtered the 70 sons by the yoke of the pillar of Shechem. So maybe we're thinking too, because I'm trying to be, I'm trying to make this text as real as possible for us. Maybe Shechem was just a culturally toxic place. It needed systemic changes. Maybe that's what's going on in Shechem. Well, here's a funny thing about Shechem. Is Shechem is the place that God promised Abraham the promised land. Shechem is the place that Abraham first worshipped God. Shechem is the place where the first worship service of Israel, when they entered the promised land, happened. Shechem is saturated with the grace of God. Shechem is saturated with the worth and work of God. Shechem is a culturally rich place. And remember, these are only, these are only the children of that generation that experienced all that. That's not a lot of time for the culture to get completely wrecked. The reason we reject God as king and we reject God as the deliverer is far more less complicated than we think. We want to be king. The text says the answer is so simple. You don't need to explore all the complex, confusing reasons and explanations for why things happen today. The text just says, you want to be king. You want to be your own deliverer. That explains most of what we do. Aren't you glad that there's just someone that will tell you the truth? I mean, when I'm all turned up inside and I don't know what's going on with me and Nancy and I are in a, a, a marital adjustment and trying to figure out what's going on. Wouldn't you just love someone to just come in that loves you, put their arm around you, and just say, hey, man, you just want to be king. Oh, that's what's happening. You just want to be your own deliverer. That explains so much. Cindy is in an unhealthy relationship because she wants the relationship. Remember, Cindy, we looked at her in the beginning. She just wants the relationship. She looks to her boyfriend to complete her. She looks to her boyfriend to clothe some deep sense of nakedness inside her. In other words, Cindy's boyfriend is her deliverer. Jim O'Connor, he just wants pornography. This is why he has such a powerful hold on him. He looks to pornography to complete him. He looks to pornography to comfort some deep ache, emptiness within. Pornography is Jim's deliverer. Sometimes we need deliverance from what we thought would deliver us. 
Can a false deliverer actually deliver, though? If you were to ask that question, I mean, you got to ask that in the text. Can a false deliverer actually do it? Is it capable? Now, remember Jotham's story, Jotham, the youngest son, who tells the story of the talking trees, the ants, the sheep, tree shepherds. Remember? He says this. You have the olive tree, the fig tree, the vine say, I'm not the king, I'm not the deliverer. But you have the bramble say, I am the king, I am the deliverer. Do you know how the story ends? The bramble burns everything to the ground. Now watch what happens in verse 22. Abimelech ruled over Israel three years, and what does he do? He burns everything to the ground, literally. He burns the whole town of Shechem. He burns the tower, 1,000 people in it. He spreads salt over it because he doesn't even want the earth to be around. But don't miss who he's burning to the ground. Who does Abimelech burn to the ground? The people that made him king. The people that made him their deliverer. Bramble only burns. A false deliverer cannot, will not, Deliver you, it will only burn you to the ground. Okay, let's move on, shall we? So, sometimes we need deliverance from what we thought would deliver us. So the question now is, well, how does that happen? How do you get delivered? How do we get delivered from what we thought would deliver us, but now is burning us to the ground, burning our relationships to the ground? burning our culture to the ground. How do we have that kind of deliverance? I want you to look at verse 10, 1 through 3. After Abimelech, there arose to save Israel, Tola, the son of Pua, the son of Dodo, the man of Issachar, and he lived at Shemir in the hill country of Ephraim, and he judged Israel 23 years. Look at verse 3. After him arose Jair, the Gideite, who judged Israel 23 years. This is another break in the pattern. Remember, pattern breaks are huge. The bones in the text are breaking. They're breaking so that, ah, you feel it. They're breaking so that you're like, wait, that's different. They're breaking so that it says, pay attention to me. They're breaking because it's pulling you by the scruff of the neck and it's saying, look at me. Look what this text is saying. This verses, three verses, are an astronomical break in the text too. So first you had Abimelech saying, appointing himself as king. Break in the text, only God does that. And now you have... Another break. For the first time ever in Israel's history, they don't cry out to the Lord in their need. There are no prayers in this text. There are no Bible studies in this text. There are no community groups in this text. There are no mission outreaches in this text. There is no social justice in this text. There's no ministry team in this text. There's no... There's not one prophet that cries out to God. There's not one father. There's not one mother. There's not one child. There's not one teenager. There's not one teacher. There's not one coach. There's not one activist that cries out to God. There's not one church that cries out to God. There's not one school that cries out to God. There's not one institution that cries out to God. There's not one movement towards God in all of Israel in any human heart in Israel. 
but God sends a deliverer. And he doesn't just send one. He sends two. But God gives double grace. The double grace of God delivers you from what you thought would deliver you. The double grace of God is the most fundamental message of the Bible. It is the message of the Bible. All Israel contributes. All Israel contributes is sin, resistance, and need. But God gives double grace. Who's the God of the Bible? The God of double grace. No, I need to know him. How do I know what he's really like? How do you know who God is and what he's really like? He's the God of double grace. This needs to be taken into our souls. This breaks chains. This sets captives free. This Double grace delivers. There's one other thing. It's the first time that ever happens in this text. So that's the first. Here's the second break in the pattern. First time you're ever going to see it in the book of Judges. The first time. This is the first time Israel isn't delivered from a foreign enemy. So the question is, who is Israel delivered from? Answer, themselves. from the desire, from the want, from their own hearts to be king, to be their own deliverer. You are the worst false deliverer on the planet, not anything else. We are the bramble that burns everything down. So did you notice, though, how God delivers Israel? This is absolutely astonishing. It's so breathtaking. We just kind of look at it and go over it, and you read it, and you're like, well, why was that included? Did God really need to have that interaction? Why did he really say this? Don't you ever wonder that about the scriptures? You're like, okay, that would have been a good place to end. But why the dialogue, right? Why the dialogue? But there was a strong tower within the city. All the men and women and all the leaders fled to it. We're thinking, you're thinking, if you haven't read this for the first time, Scene two, act two, he's going to burn it to the ground, right? And they all fly into it. They shut themselves into it. Can you imagine the panic? Can you imagine they already know what happens? But they're so scared, they do it anyway. And that's what we do, right? Fear, man. We'll do anything in fear. We'll, we get completely irrational. They flee. They shut themselves in. They go up onto the roof of the tower. And Abimelech comes to the tower. He fights against it. And all his men are bringing stacks and stacks of cordwood stacks and stacks of bramble, and they're piling it around the tower just like they just did in Shechem. And a certain woman threw an upper millstone on Abimelech's head and crushed his skull. The scene's unbelievable. Can you imagine the screaming kids, the screaming fear, everyone packed into a tower, they're watching it happen, and this certain woman, I mean, why is that? That's an interesting description. 
a certain woman. She just grabs a little millstone. It can't be too big. She grabs a stone, a simple stone, a lucky shot, and it's over. Just in the midst of everything burning to the ground, a certain woman, a simple stone, a lucky shot, and it's over. To destroy Israel's false deliverers, I mean, listen, to destroy Israel's false deliverers, God sends a certain woman to destroy our desire, your desire, my desire to be king. God sends a certain son. And it's a certain son's death on a cross that sets you free from your desire to be king, that sets you free from your desire to be a deliverer, that delivers you from yourself. You're asking, how though, Jeff, how? I mean, I get that theologically. I get that maybe, maybe intellectually, maybe in my reason. It's coming a little more clear to my mind, but how does that become real to my heart? How does this become real to my heart? As a Christian or someone who's hearing this for the first time, how do I actually believe that? As a Christian, how do you actually go deeper into that? How does it become experientially yours? Answer, that crazy dialogue. Look at verse 53. And a certain woman threw an upper millstone on Bimelech's head and crushed his skull. And then he called quickly to the young man, his armor bearer, and said to him, Draw your sword and kill me, lest they say of me, a woman killed me. And his young man thrust him through and he died. Abimelech's whole life. We are now getting a picture of Abimelech's whole life. We are now getting a picture of Abimelech's whole life in his death. He fears being unkingly. He fears being incomplete. He fears that deep, inner incompleteness, smallness, emptiness, insignificance, unimportance, inadequacy, broken, twisted, naked. He fears it. And the reason why we're doing Galatians is because I want to be able to say things that I can't just say from this text. Paul comes in and he goes, he fears condemnation. He fears the condemnation of his very being before God, before others, before himself. He fears it before others, lest they say of me, a woman killed me. He fears it before himself, lest I say of myself, a woman killed me. He fears it before all the little laws in the ancient world at that time, like, don't be killed by a woman and don't be killed by a rock. Poor dude. The desire to be king is driven by your fear of condemnation. The desire to be king is driven by your need to clothe your nakedness, to comfort that deep emptiness within. It's an attempt to deliver yourself. And a certain son's death is now your condemnation. It's now your emptiness. It now goes to that deep, 
ache and emptiness in your soul before God, before others, before yourself, and before any law that accuses you. He's your condemnation. And what that means is that not only is he your condemnation before God, which is cosmically freeing, but now in the present, you don't have to fear the condemnation of other people. How free would that be? You don't have to fear the criticism that you bring to your own soul and your own head. How free would that be? You don't have to fear the condemnation of all the laws out there that are watching you and measuring you and saying you're not enough. You are free. Does that make a difference in your life? You are now the freest person on the planet. You are now the bravest person in the world, in a world that's so fearful right now. You can walk into everything burning to the ground. A certain woman grabbed the rock and dropped it. You can be that certain person that walks into the chaos, that walks into everything burning to the ground and says, okay, okay, we need a fire hose. You're okay. You're the bravest person in the world. You have a changed life. Amen?